Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Brett Johnson is the godfather of cybercrime here in the US. This is part two of his interview with me on fraud busting. There is so much to the story. You're gonna wanna know how it ends, but make sure you listen to part one first to get all the lessons, the learning, and the plot, and then come back if you haven't already, and you're gonna be fascinated by how this plays out. Enjoy. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's jump back in. So you got backpacks full of money. Yeah, yeah. Like, how, how does it go? Like, what's the... Well, how it goes is, is you start criminals, more experienced online criminals are extremely good about research. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time reading indictments, uh, reading news articles about different types of fraud, everything else, and, and trying to figure out how that was done, how to avoid, you know, if it's an indictment, someone was arrested. Mm -hmm. So the way I view an indictment is, first of all, that crime works. The problem, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it works. He okay. did it. He stole the money. It works. Mm -hmm. He got caught. So how do you fix that? It was my entire idea at, at doing a lot of this stuff. Okay. So what happens is, is I start reading articles and books on money laundering and stuff like that and find out, you know, okay, you operate a lot of cash based businesses. So I had a detail shop. I had a stage production company, had little businesses like that. I had bank accounts in the United States, Mexico, Canada, the Caymans, throughout Europe, and then finally it bounced enough that it got to Estonia. Bank Latico was the final destination for that stuff. Now, that being said, when the feds get hold of you, they're very diligent. So they arrested me February 8th, 2005. My last seizure notice was January 2010. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. okay. So they got, they, they, they scarfed everything. They, they went through everything. They, and, yeah. And, took it from there, but you learn how to, you know, the idea is you bounce it around enough and you change the names enough that you hopefully by the time it reaches its end destination, it, you can't really track it down or it looks legitimate enough that it sits there without being looked at really hard. Got it. Um, that's the idea on a lot of that, that stuff. So, you know, you learn how to, um, how to launder money. And with me, I was uh, back to the story you had talked about. Married Susan. She was my first wife. I was married to her for nine years. And uh, I think for both of us, it was that escaping our lives. You know, I wanted out of Eastern Kentucky away from that, that my mother, um, my wife, Susan, she wanted away from her parents. She wanted to escape as well. So we kind of joined together as that. We had nothing in common, absolutely nothing. But uh, we were married for nine years. First three years, she really had no idea what I did for a living. She thought I was a reseller on eBay. And then the local police department starts to show up and ask questions and mm. she finds out pretty quick. I'm a criminal. Yeah. yeah. And, um, the next six years I lied to her about everything, you know, about me stopping, wanting to stop everything else. And I just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger the entire time. She finally, what happened was, is I, she cheated on me. And I think the reason she cheated on me was the, um, I think that's the only way she knew that I would actually end the relationship. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know if that was conscious or subconscious, but that's what I tell myself is, you know, the reason she did it uh-huh. is that's really don't that. And it's true. That's the only thing that I would say we are done right there. So I find out she's cheating on me and we, uh, we, we break up. We ultimately get divorced at that point. I told you earlier to, in this recording that, you know, I get the worst part from my dad, that fear of being abandoned. Mm. And that's what happened. I was, um, I caused that, but that, that still, it, it drove me into this depression. I got suicidal, went around the house all day long and kind of this stupor, you know, just crying and everything else ended up. Cause I knew I was getting suicidal. I picked up the phone book, called a psychologist okay. and show you this weird sense of humor I, I've got. So I'm, I'm going through the yellow pages and I'm like, psychology, criminal psychology, probably need that. So, <laughs> so call this lady okay. up and I'm, I'm crying on the phone to her and she's like, come in today. So I go in and I tell her everything and I see her for about four months and she, I think she did some good. I don't think I was ready for it. Okay. But she's trying to get me to stop breaking the law and going to real estate. And I keep telling her, is there a difference? And she's like, yes, there's a difference. But uh, I get lonely. And I, I saw her for about four months. I was 34. Saw her for about four months. I had, I didn't start drinking till I was 34. Okay. And I had never been into a strip club. So one night I get lonely and horny. And that, now that's a great combo right there. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> And, uh, I start reading, uh, you know, online, I start reading about these strip clubs and where you may be able to get laid. Okay. So I go into a strip club and for me being this, this, this upper tier fraudster, I'm really naive when it comes to personal relationships. All I right. mean, I really am right there. So I, I walk into the strip club and literally I am that guy that falls in love with the first stripper that he sees. Oh, the first right. one. She walks up to me. I'm, I'm at the bar. I order a drink. She walks up to me and she was like, will you buy me a drink? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so the drink was this non-alcoholic thing that ran $40. And I'm sitting there going, $40? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And then and she's like, uh, you know, we can go and talk in the back room if you want to. And I'm like, okay, what's that cost? Well, you just have to buy a bottle of champagne. So a bottle of Corbell champagne, $400 later. Oh, <laughs> so Corbell, man. Corbell. Good. Yeah. And so go back there and uh, I ended up just talking the rest of the night. That was it. Just talking to her. And it turns out, I didn't know that at the time, but that's evidently what a lot of men do is they just go and talk. They want someone to listen to them. So I go in and talk to her for, I think three or four hours. And, you know, she drinks the bottle and, of course, she's sizing me up. Where do you live? What kind of car do you have? What kind of watch you got? Sizing me up the entire time. I don't get it. Go back home, walk in the next week, pull her off to the side. And I was like, look, I would, I really like you. I would like to, uh, to take you to dinner if you don't mind. She's like, well, I work of a night, but we can go to lunch. I'm like, sounds great. So uh, I ended up falling in love with her and I went crazy over her. I really did. Moved her in my house. After I moved her in the house, I found out she was addicted to Coke. Ugh. Not only was she addicted to Coke, but she was prostituting herself for the Coke. And I got it in my head. Uh, a couple of things I got in my head. First was, is if, uh, if I could keep her mind off the drugs, I went, I put her through rehab and everything, but I was like, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to put her, to keep her mind off the drugs. And to me, that was spending money. 
you know, oh, whatever okay. she wants. All right. And you had plenty of it. I had plenty at that time. And then the next thing I thought was, and I guess that was more subconscious was, you know, if I could fix her, I could fix me. If I could just, you know, hold out, she'll see that I love her and it'll be okay. And this, this, this woman, she, um, to this day, I, I, I wonder about what happened to her, but, uh, you couldn't, um, she, she would not, she would not be, uh, intimate unless she was just completely wasted. You oh, yikes. Do anything okay. else like that. And, um, so here I am, I, I propose marriage. We have a wedding date set, everything else. I go through all of my, because I had all my money, my, most of the cash laundered over to Estonia. Shadow crew gets busted while all this is going on. So Shadow Crew's busted October 26th. By this point, I'm running out of stateside currency because I'm spending all this money on, on Elizabeth and everything that's going on there. So I can't go back into tax fraud because tax season has ended for the year. I can't go into credit card theft because you have no idea who you can trust now because the Secret Service has invaded everywhere. So the only thing I'm left with is running counterfeit cashier's checks. And I had okay. taught people because Shadow Crew was a teaching platform. I had taught people religiously, never, never run paper. So I start running paper Ugh. and uh, I ran paper to, to, I, I was stealing coin collections, bullion, stuff like uh, jewelry as well. And just trying to make ends meet enough because so much money was going out. I was trying to make ends meet until tax season would pop back in. So what happens is, is, uh, I get it in my head that I need to propose to her. I didn't have enough money because she wanted Tiffany rings. Didn't have enough money to to buy Tiffany engagement rings. So oh. I pass a I pass a counterfeit cashier's check for the Tiffany rings. The next month, because I'm thinking, okay, I got her the Tiffany rings. We can just get a regular wedding band. No, no, no. Once Tiffany wedding band, I'm like, so I have these Tiffany bands ordered, and I don't have enough money to pay for those. So it, it's they're being shipped in, collect on delivery, COD. And I'm like, okay, I'll just go pick those up. That'll, that'll take care of that. Tax season's starting back up soon. It'll be all right. I'm picked up. The, uh, what actually happens is a controlled delivery. The FBI's there, the Charleston Police Department's there, probably 30 people in the parking lot where I'm picking this thing up. Oh, I had boy. A, I had a drop set up at an apartment complex and didn't notice that, you know, there were 30 people, including all the UPS execs oh. in the area looking oh, for Brett man. Johnson. Yeah, so... I was arrested at that point. Elizabeth finds out what I do for a living because I had lied to her too. Within 45 minutes of the arrest, the secret service comes in, takes over the case. And what had happened was the, the arresting officer was an FBI agent. Her name's Cynthia McCants. She brings me in and they're interviewing me. She opens up this folder. She's got one sheet of paper in the folder. She picks it out and slides it across the table to me. She's like, does that look familiar? It's a picture of a fake ID that I had used a couple of years prior. Oh boy. I, yeah. I looked at her and I said, yeah, it's a little heavier version, but yeah, that's me. Soon as I say that the door opens, these two secret service agents walk in, sit down, they look at me and they're like, uh, we'd like to talk to you about some stolen credit cards. Uh oh. So I'm like, ah, so they let me sit in the County jail for a week at which point two secret service officers from agents from, from New Jersey, they fly in because at that point, New Jersey was the hub for all cybercrime investigations for secret service. Okay. Okay. So they fly in from New Jersey, pull me out of a cell and they're like, um, we got your laptop. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, have you got anything on your laptop? I'm like, yeah. Well, what have you got on it? Well, I've got 
you know, a lot of stuff. And they're like, well, you're going to be charged for whatever's on it. And I'm like, I figured. Then one agent looks at me and he's like, um, is there anything you can do for us? Well, I was arrested February 8th, 2005, three weeks before I was supposed to marry Elizabeth. And I was, I mean, I was, I was absolutely crazy about her. I looked at the agent and my exact words were, you let me get back with Elizabeth and I'll do whatever you want me to do. So he looks at me, he's like, okay. So they let me sit there for 90 days to get a taste of what jail's like. Ugh. Have the bond lowered from 329000 down to $1,000. My sister pays the bond. I walk out. The first person I call is not sister, mother, anybody else. First person I call is Elizabeth. I'm out. And she's like, I'll be there. So it's like midnight. And me and a Secret Service agent are standing in the parking lot of the Charleston, South Carolina jail. Elizabeth had a friend that owned a limousine company. She pulls up in a limousine gets out, pops the trunk, gets these two plastic storage containers out that have my clothes in them, drops them on the pavement, comes over, hugs me, tells me, call me later, leaves. I'm no. sitting there. Oh yeah. I'm sitting there bawling like a baby. The secret service agent, he looks at me. He's like, is that your fiance? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, I am so sorry. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. So I had, uh, I had $30 to my name. They had, they had seized everything else. Had no longer had a house, anything else. Had $30 to my name. Secret service agent, he has to pay for my hotel that night. He has to give me money to eat. Soon as he leaves, I call Elizabeth, beg her to come see me. She does, and I feed her this line of bullshit. Oh, everything's going to be fine. I'm working for the government now. Everything's going to be great. She believes it. She leaves. I take that $30, walk to Walmart and buy a prepaid debit card so I can start back in tax fraud that same night. Oh, and, uh, wow. Okay. So yeah, it was just same night. immediate. Immediate, immediate. And for the next 10 months, I uh, continue breaking the law from inside secret service offices and everything else until they find out that I've been ripping them off and lying to them. They revoke my bond, put me back in jail. Uh, I was only under state charges at that point. So the state judge rules that they revoke the bond improperly. I walk out, take off on, a, on the run, go on a cross-country crime spree, steal $600,000 in four months, wake up one morning, oh. and I have been placed on the United States Most Wanted list. So again, idiot that I was at that point, here I am. I'm looking at me on the U.S. Most Wanted list, and I'm like, and I said it out loud. Well, Mr. Johnson, you've made the U.S. Most Wanted list. What now? Now I'm going to Disney World. And that's exactly what I did. I was so in Las you, Vegas. You hid out at La in Vegas and Disney and a lot of places. Vegas, Disney, San Diego, Los Angeles, um, Santa Monica, all the way through there. Had uh, And when I say hiding out, I mean, it was, I had veneers put on. I've still got the veneers to this day. I had uh, LASIK eye surgery. I mean, I, I did all that stuff. The whole thing. Um, wow. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So what, what happens next? What happens next is I was on the United States most wanted list. I go to, I had planned on buying a house in Florianopolis, Brazil. It was where I planned on. Okay. I was going to run down there. I was going to go get a passport run down there. Once I'm on the United States most wanted list, it occurred to me, well, you're not getting on a plane or a boat. You, my friend are screwed. You best lay low for a while. Okay. So I figured, Oh, I'll go to Orlando. I'll camp out there a year and everything will be all right. Let the heat die down. So I go to Orlando 
And one of the things I used to teach people about, you know, when you're on the run is that you have to cut all ties and behaviors. If you've been, if you've constantly done something, you have to change your behavior completely. Not only that, but you have to cut all ties of family and friends. Well, that, that second thing is far easier said than done. Oh, that'd be hard. That'd be yeah. so hard. So my mom was, uh, and, and at that point I hadn't, you know, I, nowadays I don't really speak to my mom, but back then I, I was, and she was very poor and here I am stealing all this money. And I'm like, well, I can send her some money, let her know I'm okay. So I sent her a FedEx package with a cell phone in it and like $3,500 cash. They let that go through. I didn't, I, I expected them to be intercepting USPS. I did not expect them to be intercepting FedEx and UPS at the same time. Okay. Well, they, they intercepted that, took the phone and they used what back then it was called a trigger fish. Today it's called a stingray, but it's a uh, cell phone emulation device is what it is or tower em emulation device. It's okay. for you. So it allows the, um, the secret service to track the phone location within seven feet, um, intercept text messages, a whole line of stuff. That okay. All that. So I was in North, I was in Orlando, Florida. I had paid for a timeshare cash for nine months. They were still building the timeshare complex. I go and buy, you know, 30 grand in furniture to start to, to, you know, put into place everything else. And uh, I'm like, well, I'll just camp out a year. Everything will be fine. I lasted two months was what happened was, is uh, they used the trigger fish to find out where I was. It was September 16th of 2006 at this point. So September 16th, of 2006, 1030 in the morning, it was a Saturday. I get a knock on the door. I get up, go look out the peephole. No one's there. Now I was used to the builders coming by and asking if everything was all right. So I just opened the door, step out in the hallway and walking down the hall are two South Carolina law enforcement or secret service agents and an orange County deputy. They turn around, look at me and it was friendly. It was like, Hey Brad, how are you? And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm doing good. How are you? And they're like, Oh, we're doing pretty good. I'm like, would you like to come in? And they're like, well, we need to put you in cuffs first. And I'm like, yes, I figured that. Mm. So, so they put me in cuffs, take me in. And, and Bobby Kirby was the, was the head agent that, at that time. He looks at me and he's like, Brett, do you have anything in the apartment? I'm like, yeah, in the bedroom, there's $150,000 cash. And he's like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, anything else? I was like, well, there's an AK-47 in there too. And he stops and he's like, are you shitting me? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kidding about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So they, they throw me in the Orange County jail. Uh -huh. And um, I mean, it just, this story just keeps getting weirder, right? So they throw me in Orange County jail. I didn't know that the only time you get off in federal prison is the drug program. Okay. Now remember, I didn't start drinking until I was 34. Sure. My mom, my mom was an addict and I was always scared of using drugs. Okay. So this meth dealer that's in fed, the federal holding in Orange County as well, he kind of uh -huh. takes me under his wing. His nickname was Yeti. Uh -huh. And he tells me, he's like, you know, Brett, the only time you get off in federal prison is a drug program. You get a year off. And I'm like, Yeti, I don't use drugs. And he's like, well, you can find a drug problem, can't you? And I looked at him. I'm like, you know, I can find a drug problem. Okay. So they give me this thing called diesel therapy. And what that is, is as you're being transported, they stop at every single county jail they can to wear you down. They process you through. And then once you're processed through, they load you back up, move you to the next county jail. 
So it took about two weeks to get from Orange County, Orlando, back to Charleston, South Carolina. Huh. At every county jail I stopped at, you fill out paperwork and processing, do you use drugs or do you drink alcohol? And my answer was always yes, and I need all the help I can get. So by the time I get to South Carolina, there's this paperwork trail of Brett Johnson saying he's an alcoholic and addicted to cocaine. Oh. My lawyer, my first lawyer was Strom Thurmond's son, Paul Thurmond. Okay. I paid for him. Yeah. I paid for him with illegal funds. So uh -huh. they made me drop him. They gave me this public defender who I swear to God looked exactly like Billy D. Williams. Exactly. <laughs> his, his name was Jimmy Rogers. The only thing Jimmy Rogers did for me, he stands up at my arraignment and he asks the judge to order a, a, a psychological evaluation. The judge says, yes. Psychologist comes into the county jail four-hour evaluation, halfway through, the psychologist is like, do you use any type of drugs? And I'm like, yes. Well, what do you use? Cocaine? Smoke or snort? I snort. How much? An eight ball a day. And he looks at me, and he's like, that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, <laughs> he, he was like, do you have any trouble out of that? And I'm like, yeah, I can't get an erection. And he looks at me again. Oh my God. And I had gotten that. No shit, Tracy. I had gotten that because I had watched the movie Boogie Nights. Okay. And that, <laughs> that end scene with Mark Wahlberg, where it's just not standing to attention. I'm like, that had to be real. So I looked at him and he's looking at me and I'm like, is that right? <laughs> no, I didn't know. So he looks at me. And he's like, it could happen. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So that, that whole sequence makes it into my PSR, the pre-sentence investigation, the pre-sentence okay, report. Okay. And what that is, in federal, when you're federally charged with a crime, the probation office and the prosecutor, they do this in-depth background check on you okay. that recommends to the judge how much time you should serve. So that drug thing made it into my pre-sentence report. So the day of sentencing, I've been telling everyone in the unit, if they sentence me to any more than 60 months, I am not staying. I am leaving. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, you're going to escape. I'm like, yes, I am. So <laughs> day of sentencing, secret services there, prosecutors there, prosecutors standing up. And I mean, he's screaming to the top of his lungs at this point. He's like, Brett Johnson has manipulated the secret service. He's manipulated the prosecutor. And today he's manipulating you, your honor. We insist on the upper limits of the guideline. I'm sitting there going. So the judge looks at me and she was like, I agree. <gasps> 75 months, the, the most they could give me. So I'm like 75, that's more than 60. Looked at my lawyer and I was like, uh, can you get the drug program for me? He was like, I don't know. I'll ask. He stands up. Will you order the drug program for Mr. Johnson? The judge says no, but I'll recommend he gets evaluated for it. I looked at my lawyer. What does that mean? My lawyer's like, you're probably not going to get it. I'm like, exact words. How soon can you get me to the camp? He says, I can get you there pretty quick if you don't appeal. Quote, Brett Johnson looks at him and says, fuck the appeal. Get me to the camp. I'll take it from there. He looks at me like I'm the biggest idiot in the world at that point. He's like, uh -oh. okay. <laughs> so six weeks later, I get to the camp. I had had family and friends research because you can have a camp recommended. I had family and friends research a camp that wasn't supposed to have a fence around it. Prison like, camp. We're talking prison about camp. it's right. not, it's not a, uh... yeah, not boy scout. Yeah. Not boy scouts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So 
we settled on Ashland, Kentucky, because all the books said no fence. I'm okay. okay. Get to Ashland, Kentucky, 14-foot fence, razor wire on top. Oh, I'm like, ouch. I'm like, I don't climb. <laughs> so I go in. As I'm being processed, I looked at the guard. And I'm like, uh, are there any jobs outside of the fence? And he was like, well, you can work in the National Forest. And I'm like, no, I'll die out there. And he's like, well, <laughs> he was like, well, you can do the landscaping. I'm like, I can run a weed eater. Mm-hmm. So the next day I walk into the landscaping office and just to show the, the way some, this thing operates, the way the mindset of some, some prisons is. So you walk in the landscaping office and the guards there at his desk behind his desk, the entire wall is this blown up aerial photo of the compound and the outlying area. So as I'm talking to him, I can literally plot my escape. So I worked there for six weeks and I escape. My dad helps me escape is what happens. That's how I, that, people always ask how I escape. My dad helps me escape. Okay. So uh, I escaped. What I do you do? Gone. Pick you up around back or something? No, my poor dad, he, um, he shows up at my sentencing. I hadn't had a, had a real conversation with my dad in 20 years. Oh, he shows up at my sentencing and he was like, he stands up in front of the judge. I'm here for Brett. He can live with me when he gets out. I want to make sure he gets a good start. He starts visiting me in prison. Third visit in, he looks at me and he was like, you know, I've been reading about you online. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. He's like, that's a lot of money you made. I'm like, yeah. And he was like, do you think you could teach someone how to make that money? Oh, <laughs> so when I, when I first started telling that story, I told people that, uh, you know, I thought my dad was back in my life and I was just disappointed. It, it's more complicated than that. Sure. I think that what it was is my dad, cause he hadn't talked to me in 20 years. I think that he's, he just saw that, uh, he saw me through the prism of my mom you know, that criminal mindset and everything. I think that's really the only way he knew how to communicate with me. Oh. And what I did was, is I chose to manipulate him into helping me escape. So I taught him how to do tax return fraud in exchange. He gave me every bit of money he had in his bank, which was $4,000, um, change of clothes, a driver's license and a cell phone. And I, I escaped. I walked off and I was gone for three weeks. U.S. Marshals, they come and get me because I canvassed a three-state area. I had to use my real ID because I was waiting for fake IDs to come, which never showed up. Um, U.S. Marshals come and get me, arrest me, send me to prison. I spend eight months in solitary confinement, and they send me to a real prison in West Texas where I get to meet the Aryan Brotherhood and everything else. Oh, boy, yeah, they're a gem, all of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I go through uh, three prison riots, see two murders, and four suicides while I was there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What happens, uh, the turnaround for me, was it begins with my sister. Um, you know, I met, I met Elizabeth, the, uh, the dancer, my sister disowned me because of that. She didn't, uh, she wouldn't talk to me for a year during that year is when I, uh, I'm arrested. I go to work for the secret service, screw them over, go on a cross country run, get caught, go to prison, escape from prison. My sister doesn't talk to me the entire time. After I'm a, after I get caught on the escape, I'm in a County jail in Lexington, Kentucky. My dad comes to visit. They've got a 10 minute visitation. He says, can I do anything for you? And I'm like, yeah, you can tell my sister. I said, I love her. And, uh, he does. Denise gets in the car. She's in Hickory, North Carolina, gets in the car, drives seven hours to come see me for 10 minutes to tell me she loves me. And, uh, I didn't see her again for, for five years. Oh boy. Uh, it took two and a half years, it took two and a half years behind the fence 
for me to understand that uh, the reason I broke the law wasn't because I was, you know, for family or friends or anything like that. The reason I broke the law is because I chose to. So I got out in 2011, no taste of breaking the law whatsoever. I was under three years probation. I could not touch a computer. Had job offers from Deloitte, from No Before, a couple of others. I couldn't take them. Um, got to where I was applying for fast food. I couldn't take that because that was touching a computer. From there, I tried a waiter's position, and that answer was no. That's a computer and credit cards, idiot. Oh, so, you didn't have a well, job. You're stuck. Was, like you're totally yeah. stuck for a time. Like what? Um, yeah, I was bumming money from my dad and my sister, so I was bumming money from them. I uh, had a roommate that took care of half the rent. I was on food stamps so I could eat, and uh, I didn't have any money. I had a. I, they tell you to get something you care about when you leave prison, or you won't recidivate. Uh-huh. So I had a cat. Is what I had. Okay. And, uh, I had enough money to feed my cat and I didn't have enough money to buy toilet paper. Oh um, man. Okay. So I went, I went to the dollar general store, bought the cat some food and on the way out. Uh, they had a kiosk there with toilet paper. And that was the first crime I committed right there was, was, was stealing toilet paper. And about the same time, my wife now, Michelle, and I've put her through hell, you know, with my crime and everything else. But my wife now, Michelle, she finds me and, uh, I ended up moving in with her about two months after that. Finally got a job, manual labor, and I was mowing grass, pushing a lawnmower. Okay. But uh, got a job, but I was, I was busting my ass. I mean, I was happy doing that. Uh, the job ended. You know, when it gets cold, the grass doesn't grow. Sure. So job ends, and that tick that I've got, if you want to call it a tick, motivation, whatever you want to call it, of, you know, got to prove myself, got to show my love through material goods or whatever, that reared its head. I was like, I got to do something. She's the only one working. I've got to show her I'm worth it. So I figured that the, at the end of the day, the, the least I could do was bring food in the house. So get online, get some stolen credit card data, start ordering food. And, and depending on who I'm talking to is when I gloss over that. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So it starts as food, mm-hmm. but she's got two boys. So food turns into, well, boys need some clothes. Uh-huh. So start stealing clothes. Then, well, do some nice stuff for Michelle too. So start stealing clothes. <laughs> and, and it turns into all this other stuff. It's that, it's that perverted form of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure, yeah, yeah. So uh, I get picked up on a food order. Is what oh, I'd okay. I'd ordered steaks from Nyman Ranch. And, and just to give them their proper plug, there are no better steaks in the country than Nyman, Ranch, Nyman Brothers Ranch. They're outstanding. Okay. Well, but, good to know. Good to they're, know. They're good. Maybe I can pay them back a little bit, but uh, got picked up on that and I go back to prison for 10 months. Okay. At, my, at my sentencing on that, the only people, the only people in the courtroom, I had the U.S. Marshals, the prosecutor, probation officer, the judge, and Michelle. Mm. Michelle, Michelle stands up and uh, she tells the judge that I'm a good man, that, that I'm a better uh, dad to to, to her kids than her, than their actual father is. I'm sitting there crying. Probation officer stands up. We think he's a good guy. We think it's just a one-time thing with him. Prosecutor says the exact same thing. And, uh, I get, I go back for 10 months. Okay. That's that's when I found out. See, most people have, I guess most people, I, I have this, this idea that most people have very healthy relationships and I had never, uh, I found out that Michelle needed me for me at that point, not what I could give her. Not for stuff. Yeah. Not for stuff. And I never, I never had that. Uh-huh. You know, I'd had it with my sister, 
but I'd never had that in, you know, a romantic relationship or anything like that. Um, so I find that out about, about, about this, um, get out after 10 months. We get married shortly after that. I'm off probation so I can touch a computer, but there are no job offers. <laughs> you know, who's right, going to trust huh? the guy that stole everything. Yeah. And I, I, to this day, Tracy, I know what my, I know what it takes for me to go back to, and commit crime. Mm-hmm. I know what that is. So I, and I knew I would go so far without breaking the law again. So I looked at Michelle and I was like, let me see what I can do. And I signed on to LinkedIn, reached out uh, to this FBI super cop by the name of Keith Malarski. Uh, he was involved with some of the shadow crew stuff, Silk Road, all these other major cybercrime bust. And I sent him a message and the message was, you know, Hey, uh, I respect every single thing you did. I think you did an outstanding job. Just wanted you to know that by the way, I would like to be legal. And the guy, he, he responded within two hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Took, took me under his wing, gave me references, advice. He does. He's retired now, but he does the exact same thing to this day. And that right there was, uh, I don't think if, if he hadn't responded or if he had came with anything else, any other type of response than that, I think I'd probably be, be back in jail today. But uh, he, he kind of re- reinforced, you know, the idea that I could do something other than, uh, than break the law. And uh, from there was the head of the, uh, it was Neil O'Farrell for the Identity Theft Resource Council. He took me under his wing. Um, Carice Hendrick, my podcast partner over on Online Fraudcast, she was the first person that gave me a paid speaking job. Okay. Um, so it was all about that. The question comes up, you know, whether I'm tempted anymore or anything like that. Uh, what happened was, is as that was going on, I was still preparing. I didn't know if it was, it was going to be successful or not. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make a living as a speaker or consultant. Right. So Microsoft hears that I'm going to be at this presentation. They, one of their fraud guys, one of their head fraud guys, he flies down just to talk to me. And oh. he, he pulls me off to the side and he, he, they end up giving me a job and, uh, about a month, two months into working for them. I hadn't been breaking the law, but I've been, you know, doing the preparation work in case everything fails. I can go into synthetic fraud. I can run a marketplace. I can do all this stuff. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I was sitting at home. I was back home in Birmingham one night and everyone was asleep and it was literally, it was literally an aha moment. It was, uh, it hit me that. I was through breaking the law at that point. Just like and turn the corner. Yeah. I just, I just, I knew I was like, I'm done. And uh, I hadn't reached out to Keith Malarski or anything at that point. About a week after that, I sent him an email and I was like, I just, I, I didn't reach out to you. I didn't want to have to lie to you, but uh, I just wanted, you to know, I'm okay now. Uh-huh. And uh, since that point, I've not been tempted on anything. And uh, it's like, uh, I don't know what to say. It's the reason I'm able to do what I do today. The only thing I've done is not break the law. The, uh, the, the big thing is that people have given me a chance to use the knowledge I've got to help people instead of hurt people. So, you know, I, I get to, I go to Quantico twice a year to, to work at the CISO Academy to talk to the people there. Um, I'm, I'm privileged. I get to work with AARP. I work with some of the biggest companies in the world, either speaking or consulting with them. Um, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I, uh, I'm not sure I deserve the life that I've got, but I am, uh, 
I'm really damn grateful for it. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. So excuse me. Sorry about that. But yeah, uh, no, I mean, why, why wouldn't someone want someone that had an, or a company want an in-depth knowledge Yeah. there as opposed to someone who's guessing at what goes on? Yeah. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got, uh, you know, I've got that going. I've got, uh, we're, we're talking TV now doing books, everything like that. And it's, uh, I'm very blessed. I, I gave a presentation, a virtual presentation to uh, USC a few weeks ago. And one of the students there, they asked me, they were like, uh, do you have any regrets or would you take anything back? And I told the, uh, the student, I was like, you know, honestly, I look now and I've, I regret a lot. I regret all the victims. I really do. But I, I don't think it's, it's like, uh, it's like every single thing that I've done or had done to me has led to what I do now mm-hmm. and, and the person that I am. And, uh, I like me now, you know, I do. I like, I like the guy I am. Virtual high five so, on uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, no, I don't think I would take anything back, but I do have deep regrets about the harm that I caused. So there you go. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> oh, Fred. So, so raw. So raw. So, um, What's your wife think of all this? Oh, geez. So my poor wife, I have put her through the ringer, you know? So yeah, huh? she, uh, Michelle, we moved, we moved from Florida to Birmingham because her parents were getting sick and they were, mm. you know, in, in the twilight years and, uh, came up here to take care of them. Well, her, her poor dad, right as I was, uh, right as I was, cre- you know, cresting as that legal person, mm. as everything was coming into being is when her dad is diagnosed with liver cancer. Oh, ouch. So he's diagnosed with liver cancer. He dies within six weeks of being diagnosed. Mm. Her mom dies within nine months of that. Mm-hmm. So here I am, and, and Michelle was the one working to that point. At that point in time, I was able to say, hey, you don't worry about working. You do what you need to with, with, with your family, take care of them. I can handle this. So that's exactly what she did. And she went through all the, all the depression and everything else at that point. And uh, she went through all that depression and didn't see this big change that was going on with Brett Johnson because she was so, so, in, so, you know, in, involved with that. So as she's coming out of that, I've went, I've done this 180. You know, I, I've been the guy that I used to be this criminal mind used to be this kind of hustler dude, didn't really have any direction, any focus, mm-hmm. anything else like that. So she doesn't see that change from Brett Johnson, not really being driven or focused on anything to all of a sudden it's bam, 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 bam. Mm-hmm. It's now, now my focus is making sure I'm not remembered as the guy who stole everything. All right. I want to, I want to help people. I want to cause as much damage to, to cybercrime as an environment as I can, everything else like that. So she, she kind of comes out of this, this haze that she's been in with a depression and sees this guy that she doesn't know anymore. Oh man. Okay. So, so it, it, it caused a lot of stress. You know, I mentioned the thing about me going through the house and pointing out things that were stolen. Mm -hmm. You see me do that. Like, what are you doing? You know, and, and, and you're throwing out our stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, so she's seeing all this and it's, it, it resulted in a, in, in counseling and uh, a lot of marital strife everything else. Um, we're coming through it, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, what do you do about that? You, 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 you're faced with a thing where your parents die. Of course you're going to shut off at that point. Yeah. 
and then you wake up and the guy that you've been married to is not that some, he's went through a big change all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's traveling all over the place. He's got phone calls coming in. He's plotting businesses, everything else like that. He's no longer that guy. That's kind of this happy go lucky guy. That's has no direction. Now he's like, bam, bam, bam. And it's, it's been a huge change. Um, I think we're working through it, but okay. it's, it's been a huge change right now. Oh, good. good. Um, well, you know, um, bumps like that always tend to uh, end for the best. In that's true. How, if, if you're paying attention, right, to what's going on if inside. And, and it is tough to look inside, no matter if you've had stuff go on, like like what you're talking about, or even had a good life, like, or, yeah. you know, what you would say, you know, Pollyanna, or right. like, like there's, there's extremes and... Um, yeah, that's how it's brave. It's really brave. Well, you know, it's it's like Nietzsche that says, "I'm that I'm that cereal box philosopher." You know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. There you go. There you go. Well, <laughs> Nietzsche or Kanye, one of the two said it. Oh well, yeah, Kanye. Yeah, he's got some always gems out of that guy. So, okay, so let's talk about what can people do now. Like, how are you helping companies? What can individuals do? Because we started off. With, hey, you know what? The economy is going crazy and there's going to be people who have situational values. So what are you seeing? What are you hearing about that's on the rise uh, from from fraud out there? Well, you know, everyone's talking about it. But the problem is, is that you really can't overstate it enough. Mm -hmm. Coronavirus is is something that the fraud community, and when I say that, I mean the criminals, Mm -hmm have never really seen the such opportunity before. Mm-hmm. All right. Because you've got the, the economy tanking because you've got people that are desperate, people that are scared, people who you have different information coming in from different news media sources. Oh, I, know. I read, yeah. I read an article yesterday in Forbes from the CDC to John Hopkins to the white house. They all have different models. No one knows what the hell is going on with this thing. It's all right. True. And that, that just sows more dis- desperation, more paranoia, everything else. Because of that, all of that has created this. It really is. I've said it a few times and I, I hate to keep saying it, but it really is a perfect, a perfect storm for cybercrime. So you've got, you've got the stimulus checks. The government is so intent on getting those out to the people who need them mm-hmm. that there's not much security around that. So as long as you have the person's social, their date of birth, an address, a phone number, and a way to have the check deposited, as long as that person has not already filed for the stimulus check, you can steal it. It's that easy. It's that easy right now. Oh, uh, yikes. The, and th- people, those things are hard to get. Anyway. They're hard to get. Yeah. I, I, I don't have one, you know, because I hadn't filed taxes for this past year and I, I went and filed taxes. But, you know, the, the criminals, that's one of the things you find is that the people who, who deserve and need the checks, they have a much harder time getting them than the criminals do because criminals don't mind forging documents or lying or anything else like that. So stimulus checks, the loans, the loans, you know, the paycheck protection loans, everything mm-hmm. else, those are, those are being defrauded now. There was a case last week of uh, two guys, I forgot the state, Massachusetts, I think, where they had um, got like $500,000 in loans, some stuff like that. And they're, they're indicted now. Well, they were, they were caught. There's all kinds of criminals who aren't being captured on that right now. Oh, right. So you've got that. You've got um, coronavirus being used to launch phishing attacks to steal PII. You've got it being used to, uh, to get people to click on documents to install ransomware or malware on businesses' systems. 
that's that you're seeing that you're going to continue to see that as long as this pandemic is in our, in, in, in the forefront of our society. Now, um, that's the big thing. What do I talk about companies? It's, it's important to realize that from a, from either a consumer point of view or a company's point of view, you need to understand what your place is in the cybercrime spectrum because you have a place. It's not like you can opt out of being a victim of cybercrime. Okay. So you have a place for that criminal to try to victimize you. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by that is the way that I will victimize you as a criminal differs from if you are as a person, if you are a CEO or you work payroll compared to if you've worked food service for 20 years, okay. I'll still victimize you, but the way I will victimize you differs. If you're a CEO or payroll, I'm looking to spearfish you to get uh, to build up enough trust so I can engage in business email compromise mm -hmm. or to install ransomware on your system, something like that. Okay. If you're a food service, I'll still victimize you. I'll, I'll use your identity to uh, set up bank accounts to launder money. I'll use it to uh, uh, commit synthetic fraud, something like that. Okay. For a business, it's the same thing. What type of business do you have? Is it a business that I can break in and steal the information and resell it on the black market? Or is it information that's just specific to your company that your company has to have to operate? That will determine whether I steal the information and resell or I try to lock down the information using ransomware. I'll still victimize you, but the way I will do that depends on where you are in that cybercrime spectrum. So I talk to people about that, get them to understand where they are, design security around that, around how a criminal will actually attack you. Oh, wow. Because it's custom now. It's not just it's blanket anymore. It's custom. Mm -hmm. Everyone, every, every vertical is a little bit different. So you need to understand where you sit in that, how criminals will, will look to victimize you. Um, for, for people, you mentioned it earlier. The first thing you need to do is freeze the credit. Mm -hmm. September 18th, 2018, credit freezes became free. They are complicated to set up. Oh yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. The credit bureaus, they, they hide the links. They want you to pay for monitoring, mm -hmm. everything else like that. Credit freezes are free. So you need to freeze the credit of every single person in the house, including the kids, because kids are the number one victims of identity theft. 25%. Oh yeah. And you never know. Because the never kids know. are now trying to buy stuff. Right. You never know. So freeze the credit of every single person in the house. Understand that a credit freeze only stops new account fraud. Mm -hmm. So for children, it's outstanding. For adults, it's only new account fraud. Even if you've got your credit frozen, I can still use your stolen credit card information mm -hmm. to buy products. So you have to monitor all accounts as well. And that means email, bank, credit card, tax records, retail merchant logins, you monitor all accounts where you can, you place alerts on those accounts. So you can be not notified if anything changes on the account. Uh, the third thing is the big one. I mean, all those are big ones, but the other really big one is 80% of every single person on the planet uses the same password and login on multiple websites. That's this whole idea of what's called credential stuffing because I may send out a phishing email that look like, looks like it comes from Bank of America. Right. And, you, and you'll get the email and you'll say to yourself, oh, that's obviously a phishing attempt. I'm not going to fall for that. Your level of awareness is really high on financial matters like that. Right. But if I send out a phishing email that looks, looks like it comes from Hulu, is your level of awareness going to be the same? Probably not. You're probably right. going to say, Hulu? Does, does anyone even watch Hulu? 
The only thing they've got is the Handmaid's Tale, and that second season sucked. <laughs> so, no. right. so, but if you use the same password and log in, then that 400-pound kid in his mom's basement, it's an automated program. He goes to sleep one night. He's got the, the login and password plugged in. It, it hits multiple websites to see what it works on. He wakes up the next morning. He's got your bank account, your credit card, your tax records, everything else across the board. So it's important that we, that we practice good password security. What that means right now is a password manager. And I don't care which one you use, just use one of them. There are, there are a few like Apple's got one that's built into the browser, but use a password manager. It, it takes all of that problem of proper secure passwords out of your hand. Okay. Uh, those are the three big ones. Other than that, it's, it's about being diligent. Uh, the way a scam works and it doesn't matter whether you're scamming a company or a consumer, the way a scam works is the criminal is going to try to layer enough trust variables up there that you don't continue to dive deeper until you find out that it's fake, that it's a scam. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's, so it's important that, that you do proper research that, that anyone who calls you shows up at your door. If you get snail mail, whatever that looks like, if they end up asking you if it's unsolicited request for information, access data or cash, that you never respond to that. Okay. Never. It's, it's about being diligent, vigilant enough and understanding that even though you're signed on for a security company, either as a company or as an individual, whether it be LifeLock, Identity Guard, what have you, that you still understand that your security is your responsibility. No one company is going to save you. It's still, you still have to take an active role in your security as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the folks at ID Shield reached out to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they actually have a really good, really good product. I've they do. I've through the weeds of it. Yeah. So they're, they're helping me out a little bit here now. So it's, I mean, they're good. They're, they're a good yeah. company. Uh, you know, I understand. And they do a good job. But they can't protect you from everything. It's also it's your, it's your It's your responsibility to also be diligent in your security. Well, okay. yeah. And one of the things they do that's kind of neat is they um, – they'll have private investigators that will actually take up the fight for you. So you don't have to spend hours on the phone with uh, And you got to love it. Yeah. With, with the IRS <laughs> and everything. So yeah, that, that was one of the big things. Big, I'll big tell you what I, you know, I, I don't have, uh, I use mint uh, mm -hmm. a few other things as well. And I was compromised. My card was compromised. I was driving to Atlanta to catch an airplane to go to India. Okay. So I was compromised on the drive over. Oh, so here I am trying to chase all this down, trying to, trying to figure it up. And when you talk about a company that will take care of that for you, that makes all the difference in the world because you're oh. trying to get, you're trying to do business, everything else. And you really don't have the time to chase down all the leads and call all the companies and inform them everything else. That's and going sit on hold and the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, that makes a world of difference. Yeah, Truly does. yeah. So, so yeah, that's kind of a new thing. It's kind of cool. So we'll see. Oh yeah. <laughs> see how that relationship moves forward, but yeah, yeah. Well, Brett, I gotta tell you, you you've been just a gem, and really. Well, taking I took up this, too much time. <laughs> well, I'm, I might we might end up splitting it. I don't know, but uh, in a couple episodes. But thank you so much, and we gotta have you back. Absolutely, Tracy, I love it. <laughs> yeah, to keep keep us posted on the latest scams. So tell everyone, okay, what are your podcasts? How can they get a hold of you? The whole thing. 
All right, so the podcast. First is the online fraudcast. That's at onlinefraudcast.com. It's also on Spotify and iTunes. So that basically deals with, I'm actually, we're redoing some of that where it's going to handle all different types of fraud. It has been strictly just merchant-based fraud for small okay. businesses, but it's going to handle all types of fraud for consumer and merchants. The other podcast is the Anglerfish podcast, which has been talking about the first season is the Brett Johnson life story. The second season so far has been bringing people in and talking about cybersecurity or the difficult issues that our society faces. That's going to be retweaked over the next couple of weeks to add a few more elements as well. I'm also launching a YouTube channel okay. called Cybercrime 101. Oh. So that will launch in the next 10 days. And that's going to be talking about little videos of these, these small scams, these opportunistic type scams that are being committed that kind of the unethical life people lead okay. and uh, how to protect against them, what you can do to identify that. And hopefully it'll be popular as well. We'll see. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I think you got a chance at it. Cause I mean, I hope <laughs> there's a need, there is a need out there. So again, and people can find you on LinkedIn. You're easy to find LinkedIn. Easy yeah. to find. Just look, look for Brett Johnson, cybercrime and I pop right up. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll speak at a conference when conferences come back. And if they open the world back up, I'll be right at them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and if you want to shore up your, your practices and your systems at, at your office, at your company. Absolutely. And, and let me point yeah. this out too. If you, if you are just a, uh, you know, a private citizen, I don't charge for universities. I don't charge for students, law enforcement, or private citizens. If you have a question, a problem, reach out to me. You can go to my website, anglerfish.com. That's P-H-I-S-H.com. I am more than happy to help you any possible way that I can. Okay. Oh, what a great offer. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.